so imagine for me, uh, if you will, just a minute. <clears throat> so go back to the time in your life when you were dating, uh, if that time is beyond uh, your current time. And uh, imagine that you're on a date and everything's going really well. Like the conversation has flowed well. Uh, dinner was fantastic. The service was nice. Uh, you decide to go out and start taking a, a walk down the sidewalk outside the restaurant. The weather's perfect. Slight breeze, no sand flies. Everything's going well. You decide to dip into a place and have uh, maybe a dessert with a coffee or an after-dinner drink. And you're sitting there and things are going so well that you decide uh, to maybe lean in and uh, ask a precious little bit uh, and ask them about their future. Right? And you may ask a question, something to the effect of, what are your goals and plans for the future? Where, where do you see your life going? Right? And as soon as you say this, they respond with, uh, well, I have three goals. And if somebody responds like that to a question of that nature, immediately you're going to be like, oh, they've thought about this. You know, that's, that's more than a lot of people, right? They've, they've got something going on. And so you kind of, you're like, oh, okay. You sit up, kind of impressed, and you, you lean in. And they say something to the effect of, my first goal um, is not to lose my job. And I go, okay, well, that's an interesting goal. And then they keep going, my second goal is not to get another DUI. <laughs> and you're like, okay. And my third goal is not to have another child. <laughs> and you might sit back and you're like, okay, well, thanks for uh, sharing. Uh, those are some interesting goals, right? Now, that would be an awkward conversation to have. Now, hold on to that awkwardness of that conversation for a moment, because we're going to circle back around and talk about it. Um, but we've been talking over the last few weeks about people, um, and when I say people, I mean us, uh, who have made messes in different areas of their life. And that mess has led to stress around them. And uh, it has caused others to have to walk on eggshells around them or you uh, as there are different messes, uh, areas of your life. And the goal for people when they have areas of their life that are mess, uh, the goal is functionality, right? Can I still make it all work? Can I still make things line up and get done what I have to get done? Can I make it to the next day? Functionality. But the problem with that is that sometimes functionality is attainable when areas of your life are a mess, but it's fragile. It doesn't take much uh, to knock that, that functionality uh, off and you can explode at any moment to all of the people who are around you. The people who have nothing to do with the mess that certain areas of your life uh, may be and it just spills out, right? And so we talked the first week about how, A, we should withhold judgment of people who have messy areas in their life and who maybe seem like they're on edge. We should withhold judgment of them uh, because the reason that we can recognize that areas of their life is a mess is because we ourselves many times are a mess as well. And it takes one to know one, right? The reason I can recognize their mess is because I myself am a mess. Um, and all of us have messed up some aspect of life at some point along the way. Even if right now you got everything cleaned up and life is working fine, um, there have been times where financially, relationally, uh, you know, in your career, in school, somewhere along the way, you've made a mess in your life, right? And the other thing we've said this as we've worked our way through the first couple weeks of the series um, is that we recognize that when we make a mess of something, right, we recognize that we're not perfect. In fact, a lot of times we say nobody's 
perfect. But what we, when we recognize that nobody's perfect, uh, we're making a bigger statement than most of us realize we're making, right? We're making the statement that there's a standard outside of you that exists beyond you, that you did not create, that you feel accountable to, and that you can't live up to, that nobody can live up to. Now, as we advance the discussion today about these messes uh, in our life, I want to talk about something that Christians believe, right? Jesus loves the little messes, all the messes of the world. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, that's my uh, Sunday school upbringing coming out right there. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, Jesus loves the messes. This is what we believe. And, and, and um, we know this because instead of, instead of just getting rid of the messed up world, he did the opposite right? God sent Jesus to walk around in and interact with all of the messes in the world, right? And this is comforting knowing that whatever issues you have, whatever things aren't going right in life, whatever messes you've created, that within the midst of those, God still loves you. But there's a but, right? That, that's not the end of the idea. And that is this, is that God does love us, but he loves us too much to leave us just wallowing in our mess. He loves us too much, right? Uh, and Jesus said, you know, when you think about God, you should think of God as a good parent, right? As a good parent. And like any good parent, parents not going to allow their child to just wallow in their mess, right? They're not going to allow their child to just stay like they are, they're gonna to push to change. They're gonna to push to betterment. And God's the same way. He's not gonna allow you to just wallow in your mess. He's gonna push you to change and to betterment, right? And Christianity isn't, I keep messing up, I keep messing up, I keep messing up, but I keep getting forgiven, I keep getting forgiven, and I keep getting forgiven, right? It's not one long cycle of just making the same mess over and over and over again and then getting forgiveness. And if we're not careful, we are going to reduce Christianity to the date example, right? Which is really a perversion of what Christianity is, right? Because the date example is all of those goals that that person set out when they said, hey, what are your goals for your future? All of those goals were not to mess up. I just don't want to mess up. None of those goals were, I want to build, I want to achieve, I want to grow, I want to mature, I want to do any of these other things. The goals were, don't mess up. Those were the goals. And that's what so many Christians turn their Christian experience into, is don't mess up. And that's a perversion of what Christianity really is. And non-Christians notice. They notice that. Uh, in fact, um, non-Christians look at Christians who treat their life like that and just keep doing the mess up forgiven, mess up forgiven, mess up forgiven thing. And they look at that and they think, wait, 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 wait. You, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, you live your life the exact same way I do with two differences. One, what we do for an hour every Sunday morning. And two, you feel guilty and I don't. Those are the only differences between our lives. So why not just give that up, right? Reclaim your Sunday morning and lose the guilt if your life is gonna be the same as mine, 
right? And if you're gonna live like me, why, why, why keep all that guilt and shame? And if you are a person who this is how you've handled your Christian experience and this is the way that you do it, I mean, that approach and reasoning makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, who wouldn't want an extra weekend morning? And who wouldn't want no guilt? Like both of those things sound great. But here's the good news. Christianity is way better than all of that. Even though that's what so many people have reduced it to, right? It isn't the, the dating example of just trying to not be in trouble, right? Trying to not get arrested, trying to not lose your job, trying to not fall back into some sort of behavior that you don't wanna be in. It's not just stay out of trouble, but that is such the focus of so many people when they're Christians is stay out of trouble. So my hope for today as we walk away from this part of the conversation, is that those of you who are followers of Jesus, that you can get a bigger, broader view of what God wants to do in your life, both in your life and through you for others, and how that relates to the messes that you create and the tension that leads to people perhaps walking on eggshells around you. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Philippians uh, chapter one. And uh, this is Paul's uh, letter uh, to the church of Philippi, which is in Greece. And in this, Paul gives us a much better approach to Christianity than perhaps many of us have experienced. And by the way, when he was writing this, he was writing this from a prison cell in Rome under Nero, which never ended well for any Christians. It didn't end well for Paul either. But here's what he writes. Philippians chapter one, verse three, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now he says that because the people that he's writing to, he hadn't seen them in about 10 years. That's about the span since the last time he had been with these people, but he thought of them often. So he thanks God when he remembers them. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, and he starts to lay it out, that he who began a good work in you, pause. Here's what Paul's saying in that sentence. When you chose to follow Christ, God began doing something in you. He began doing something. See, when we are in a mess, when there's areas of our life that are falling apart, mostly through our own choices and actions, we want God to fix it. That's what our prayers are centered around. God, fix my mess, fix my circumstances, bail me out of this, make it all okay. Get rid of the long-term consequences. We want God to fix it. But God says in response, follow me. Now there's a big difference between fix and follow because fix is immediate. Fix is now, right? Fix is resolved. Follow is a process. Follow doesn't have immediate gratification, an immediate payoff. It's a process. And what Paul was confident that God was doing in these Christians in Philippi was he was confident that God was growing them. That like a good parent, God wasn't just leaving them where they were in their mess, in them circumstances, but that he was pushing them towards growth. And growth takes time. You can't just decide you want to grow. I've got a door jam in our house where I periodically will measure both of the boys and make a mark 
of how tall they are and put the date next to it. And uh, that growth takes time. And it's easy to look at the doorway and be like, wow, look at where we were when we moved into the house. You were all the way down here and now you're up here. Well, if growth didn't take time, my eldest would be seven foot by now because he's always walking up. Dad, measure me. Dad, measure me. I know I'm six foot now. I know I'm six foot. And I can see him just stretching his spine as straight as it can go every time. But the painful lessons he's learning is growth takes time. You can't just decide you want to be done with it. You can't just decide to be where it is that you want to go. It takes time. And the end game for Christians, when we decide to follow Jesus, the end game, the result of all of the things that Jesus is doing in us is maturity. And you can cram for a test, but you can't cram for maturity. Maturity only comes through experience and growth. It takes time. And Paul says he's confident that God is doing something in them. And that's really important that in them because Christianity is an inside out faith, right? It's God is working inside to bring something out. Where we get confused a lot as Christians is that a lot of people as Christians, they approach Christianity as an outside in. That is, I've got to, on the outside, change my behavior, the number of people who show up to a church and are like, all right, I'm going to fart, start falling. I'm fart. Woo. You can go back and edit that out uh, a little later. I mean, let's all be honest. We've all been sitting in church and been like, who was that? No, okay. Oh gosh. It's all lost. I was on a roll. Start. Thank you. There have been people who have shown up and decided I'm going to start following Jesus and the church they're involved with immediately begins to want to judge and change all of their outside actions. And the problem with that is, especially when you're at the beginning of your journey of following Jesus, the problem is, is that God wants to change things on the inside, which is a process, which is a journey, which takes time. And you can't just immediately change everything on the outside if the inside is still the same. The outside actions change as the inside changes. But so many times the focus is on the outside behaviors that people feel guilt because they can't keep up with the ex, uh, expected behaviors. And they feel like failures because it's this is what I'm supposed to be. I'm not. There must be something wrong with me which is the danger of approaching Christianity as an outside-in faith as opposed to an inside-out. But when it comes down to it, Christianity is not behavior modification, right? Christianity is not you have to be good. You have to stay out of trouble. Christianity, the essence of it is God renewing our hearts and our minds. And as a result, our external behaviors begin to change. It's not starting or stopping behaviors based on positive or negative reinforcement. That's not what it is. It is a fundamental changing of who you are on the inside. And over time, the behavior is different. So if your approach to Christianity is or has ever been, I have to stop doing and then fill in the blank of whatever the bad thing is. 
If that's your approach, you need to just relax and set that down. Set that to the side. Because that approach, A, will not work, and B, will just leave you frustrated and guilt-ridden and no closer to God to show for it, right? God is doing something in you, and what you need to do is to learn to participate with what's going on on the inside and stop worrying about what the outside looks like for the time being. So he keeps going. He keeps going. He says, uh, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And then he ends this with a very key phrase, until the day of Christ Jesus. Which means that work is going on until the Lord comes back. <laughs> Which means it's a lifelong process. You are never going to get to the point to where God says, okay, that's good enough. We don't need any more maturity, right? You're good enough. I'm not gonna push you any further, right? God is not, God is not trying to keep you from anything. That's how so many people who approach Christianity from the outside in view it, that God's trying to keep us from things. But he's not, he's trying to complete something in you. Now, as I was trying to come up with a word that could describe this thing that I'm talking about, this actions and the way that it works, uh, all I could come up with or get a hold of was this, that when I was growing up, there, there was a word that the church threw around a lot, and that was the word holy. Right? There's this idea of, of being holy, doing the right things, right? But at 16 years old, as I'm hearing this being talked about in church, I mean, who at 16 wants to be holy, <laughs> right? That's not what he said. I mean, heck, at 47, who wants to be holy, right? What does that even mean? Right, to be holy. Holy reminds me of like stained glass with like guys maybe like in, uh, in some robes sadly looking towards the sky with their hands like this. <laughs> yeah. This is the image that pops in my mind with holy, right? But this whole hands up like this, this isn't, this isn't what holy people do. This is what surgeons do. Like after surgeons have like cleaned up for surgery and they don't want to get anything on their hand, right? They hold them up like this. There's that classic turnaround back into the door so you don't have to touch it situation, right? And they keep their hands like that to avoid contamination, right? So this is not the posture of holiness. This is the posture uh, of I don't wanna get dirty, right? I don't wanna get dirty. That's what that posture is, which is great for a surgeon, but who wants to live life with just, I don't wanna get dirty, right? Plus when you read the New Testament, Jesus and the disciples, I mean, they got their hands dirty a lot. Like they were not like we want to stay clean, stay away from that which is dirty. They weren't like that at all. So when I think about uh, what, what, what does God want to do on the inside of me, it would be easy to just defer to the Bible term and be like, oh, God wants to make us holy on the inside, right? And about 90% of you would be like, eh, okay, that sounds boring, <laughs> So here's some better terminology. God wants to mature you and secure you. He wants to make you more mature and more secure because when a person participates with God, with what's going on inside, that work that he is doing, right? Uh, there is a greater sense of inner confidence right? because they know who they are. 
as they're working with God to change on the inside. And their identity becomes connected to the creator, right? And when you disconnect the created from the creator, there's an insecurity that is almost insurmountable because you don't know who you really are. And it leads to points of tension, right? In which you could erupt on anyone at any moment for any reason. But when you grow in the knowledge uh, of understanding of your connection to God and who you are, there's a security that goes beyond anything that you've experienced before. And I think that that's what God wants to do inside of us. And that is way better, way better than stay out of trouble, right? It is way better than that. It is, I want to work inside of you, with you, to fundamentally change who you are. Your actions in the outsides will take care of themselves. Don't worry about that. So Paul keeps going. He says, God's doing something in you. And here's how I'm gonna pray for you, Paul says. He says, this is my prayer, that you stay out of trouble and keep your hands to yourself. See, this is what happens when none of you bring your Bibles because that is not his prayer. I just lied to you on the screen. You should not trust me. No, that's not his prayer. That's our prayer. That's how we pray for our kids, right? Stay out of trouble, keep your hands to yourself, right? But let me ask you something important. What is your prayer for yourself? How do you pray for yourself? What do you pray for you? This is something we've talked about uh, in the past with Tapestry. And Paul's prayer for us reinforces the idea that we've talked about, that it's about what God's doing. He, here's his actual prayer. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now that sounds exactly like what we pray for ourselves, right? <laughs> I mean, some of you might've been like, how did Paul know my prayer? Uh, just kidding. That does, <laughs> none of us really pray that. In fact, what does that even mean, right? I pray, I, I pray that others love me more. I've prayed that, that's for sure. But Paul says, listen, this is what's at the epicenter uh, of what God wants to do inside of you. This is what it's all based on. Well, great, Paul, I appreciate that. But what does that have to do with my messes and everybody walking on eggshells around me? Hold on, we'll get there in just a second. He keeps going. He goes, I pray uh, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge of depth and insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. Now, how great would that be? To be able to look at a situation and not figure out like, what can I get by with, right? Not figure out what can I get away with, not figure out where's the line just so I can get right up to it and lean way forward like one of those ski jumpers. But as long as my foot doesn't cross, I'm in good shape. No, 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 no. Not that, not what can I get away with, what is best? And that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, Paul says to this church, he says, I want you to be blameless in the way you treat other people. I want your love for others to abound more and more and more. I want you to be transformed on the inside so that your behaviors do not get in the way of you loving others. And, and others don't feel loved around you 
because they're constantly having to walk on eggshells around you. That's not what we want, right? And this is what God is trying to do inside of you, that work that he has started. He's not trying to make you a better behavior. He's not just trying to make you do all the right things on the outside. If just the right actions was the goal, God could easily really reduce our level of free will and just make us behave the way that he wants us to behave. Wouldn't be difficult for him, right? But God is trying to make you a better lover of people. And that is gonna be expressed in many, many different ways, right? But the essence of Christian maturity is not our invisible love for an invisible God, that doesn't really do a whole lot, especially for anybody around us. The essence of Christianity, the essence of Christian maturity is when a person can love another person who is difficult to love. That's when you know you've become pretty mature in your Christianity. And here's a prayer that that I came across years and years ago, and I've shared it from time to time, um, but it's just one sentence and it helps to remind me that Christianity isn't just about behavior. It's about something going on inside of me and coming out of me, right? It's about what God is doing in me. So so here's the one sentence prayer that I pray on a regular basis. God, help me to see as you see and do as you say. Help me to see as you see and do as you say. In other words, enlighten me so that I can see those around me, especially the difficult ones, in the way that you see them. And that I can respond to them in the way that you would because I'm seeing them in the way that you see them. Because the way I naturally wanna respond to the difficult people around me is not an example of mature Christianity. (laughs) It isn't. In fact, one of, the, one of the signs of maturity and emotional health is when you are able to move beyond uh, just simply seeing. That is just simply seeing what a person did, right? Seeing what they did to you, seeing how they responded to something. Everybody can see that, right? But, but getting beyond that and seeing them the way that God sees them and then responding accordingly but that's a process. That takes time. You can't just walk out of here this morning and say, all right, I'm gonna now see everyone the way that God sees them. It takes time, but that is way better than, as a Christian, your goal is to just stay out of trouble, to just behave right. Because following Jesus is not about doing what's right. Because here's why. Because doing what's right is still all about you. Doing what's right is still all about you because it's trying to do what's right so that God will see it and bless you accordingly. And that whole process is so Old Testament and Old Covenant, making sure you're doing what is right. But that way has come and that way has gone. Jesus raised the bar beyond us just doing what's right and it being about us. And he says, no, 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 we're gonna change it. The measurement is no longer what you do being right or wrong. The the measurement is the way that you treat others. 
It's not how much you pray. It's not how often you go to church. It's not how much money you give. It's how you treat others. Jesus said this fascinating thing uh, while he was here. Um, he said, look, if you're going to the temple, which the temple was a whole process. This Sunday morning at the Y is pretty easy and chill. The temple was a process. He said, if you're going to the temple to present your offering, meaning you had to go to the trouble of either taking your offering, which was an, most of the times was a, a, some sort of live animal. You either had to raise it or you had to go purchase it and take it there. Aren't you glad I don't have you bring live animals every week as your offering? Um, offering would not help with payroll and with <laughs> things like the mission. Um, but uh, they, they, they said, look, if you're going and doing that and you go through all the trouble and you get to the point where you're ready to give your offering at the altar and you remember something pops in your mind that, that there is somebody that has something against you, that you have done something to bother or offend or to upset or to do wrong to someone else. Jesus said, I am so much more concerned about the way that you treat others and how others feel treated by you than I am you doing the right thing by me. That is bringing this offering and going through the whole process and doing everything you have to do for this sacrifice. I am so much more concerned about you treating other people right that I want you to get up, forget the offering, get up and go to that person and make it right. Once you have made it right, then come back and do your offering. Which when he said that to the people, when they were listening to it, they were like, what? Wait, 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 wait. What are you saying, Jesus, that you want us to put people ahead of God? Which was a complete departure from the way that they viewed things. They viewed everything, God, 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 then people. And Jesus is turning it on his head. He's like, no. If you've got two things that are competing, that is making your sacrifice to God and making things right with God or making things right with someone else, someone else is more important. Someone else is more important because treating them right is how you demonstrate your love for God. And so by putting them first, you are putting God first because treating them right goes against our human nature. And that's what God wants to develop inside of us, right? Following Jesus isn't primarily about doing the right thing. And if our focus is on doing the right thing, we will be frustrated and we will feel like failures and we will have a religious experience full of guilt. But that's not what it is. It's about doing what is right for others. And when you make a mess, and this is so important, when you make a mess because you're doing what is best for others, right? When you do that, it is a much better mess than the messes that you make when you're doing things for yourself. This is one of the areas and I say one of because there's many. This is one of the areas where my wife is such a better person than me. Where my wife is much more mature in her walk with Christ than I am. Because almost everything she does is focused on how can I help other people? 
almost everything. Does it lead to some messes sometimes? Sure. But the messes that she creates when she's trying to do things for other people and trying to put others first and trying to lift up the people that are around her, those messes that she makes are so much better than the messes that I make when I'm being selfish and just focusing on myself. Because that's where I tend to lean. And let's be honest, when you're doing things for others and that's your focus, there's a lot less messes made than when you're focused on yourself and doing things for yourself. And if I'm gonna be honest even further, as I look back on a lot of the messes that are created, when my wife is doing things for other people, most of them are messes that needed to be created because <laughs> that stuff needs then cleaned up and fixed back better. And as long as you're focused on you, you're gonna create messes in your life and those messes are gonna create tension and that tension is gonna cause those around you to walk on eggshells around you and they will not feel loved, which is the whole uh, measure of maturity in your Christian faith is others feeling loved. So God has begun something in you and it isn't about not getting in trouble. You aren't going to be um, a better rule keeper if God is doing something in you. What you're going to be is a better parent, a better spouse, a better son, a better daughter, a better employee, a better employer, a better friend, just better. You're just gonna be better. So wherever you are in your faith, whether you feel like you're at the beginning or you feel like, yeah, I think I got the hang of this thing. Wherever you are in your faith, God has begun a work in you and is still working and you have a way to go. So here's what I suggest. I suggest that you add to your prayers about you to help you participate in what God is doing in you. Add this, dear God, complete the work you have begun in me. Add that sentence to the end of your prayers every day. Acknowledge that God's doing something on the inside and that you have a role to play in it because it's more than behavior modification. It's about turning your heart to what God is doing in you because God loves you too much to leave you in your mess. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you love us enough to not leave us as we are. And Lord, it is difficult sometimes, it is painful sometimes when we are being pushed to growth. We're being pushed to become better than what we are. But Lord, I thank you that when we began to follow you, that you don't expect outward perfection from us, but that you expect us to participate with what you are doing inside of us. Lord, let us begin to turn our attention to that, to become aware to the ways that you are pushing us to mature and to grow in you. And let us be active participants in that. And as that happens, as our minds are renewed, Lord, let our outside behavior begin to reflect the change that you've created inside of us. Lord, I thank you that even though we are a mess, you do not turn your back on us. You do not just get rid of us, but you step towards us in our mess and give us the invitation to follow you out of it. Lord, we thank you for that in your name.
Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out today. Look forward to next week as we wrap up this idea of addressing the mess in our lives.